You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hi, and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Amelia Morano-Williams, Stylus's U.S. editor. Today, we are going to be dusting off our suitcases and talking travel. What will your first post-pandemic trip look like? How will you get there? And what will be the new bucket list destinations you're dying to go to? Joining me to discuss these questions is Jimmy Carroll, co-founder of Polaris, a British adventure travel group that specializes in exhilarating journeys and many with a luxurious edge. And we also have Mandy Sabin, Stylus's Director of Consumer Lifestyle, who heads up our travel and hospitality reporting. Thank you both for joining me and welcome. So Jimmy, I'd love you to start by giving our listeners some background on Polaris. Can you tell us a little bit about your mission and what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely, Amelia, and thank you so much for having us on the podcast. Very exciting. So I set up Polaris with my business partner, uh, Jordi Mikhailos, uh, back in 2017, and we both met each other while serving in the British Army, and essentially that is where the foundations of Polaris started, and we've taken that military planning uh, model uh, and method and changed it into a a travel planning tool, and every project that we, we conduct goes through this planning uh, tool, which we put the whole three whole team through uh, and, and brainstorm. But Polaris as a, as a brand is made up of three verticals. So we have our private adventures, which is our land-based travel. Then we have Polaris Yachting, which is our yacht expeditions team taking super yachts, mega yachts around the world to more remote locations such as Papua New Guinea, Antarctica, Svalbard, just to name you know, one of many. And then the third vertical is the Polaris Agency, where we do a lot of work into luxury brands and creating brand lifestyle experiences, product development, product launch, but also then incentive and retentive travel for corporations as well. But all of it sits under Polaris X brand and all of it is uh, conducted in the same way using that military planning uh, model. We're headquartered in London, but I find myself now in in Austin, Texas, as we grow the business into the US market. And really, the the desire is that we want to be the leading experiential travel company in the world. And I think going back to your your first quote about a venture really is understanding what is a venture to, to everyone. Because for one person, that can be really hardcore, energetic, you know, jumping out of helicopters. To another person, that could just be going on the safari. And so what we really do, we delve deep into, into the psyche of our clientele, how they live their lifestyle, what they want to experience. And by taking the experience as the lead on everything that we do, we can then build in different levels of adventure and take clients in and out of their comfort zones. And taking someone out of their comfort zone could just be meaning that they're sleeping out under the stars for the first time ever, where they're normally used to sleeping in a five-star hotel all the time. Well, that's let's do it out under the stars, but in a really luxurious way. So that that's really the basis of where Polaris is. And it's a highly creative company. And I see us more as in line with creative agencies, film studios, and, and the likes, because creativity is as far as the imagination can cast. And so we do a lot of work internally to continually build that into everything that we do. And that's then overlaid on where we take our clients and the experiences that we deliver. Excellent. 
That's interesting, this idea of creativity, especially in travel planning, uh, which you've been talking a lot about stylists over the past year. And so I'm curious from you, Mandy, you know, moving forward, how easy will it be to travel? Will it be as commonplace as pre-pandemic? So yeah, Amelia, my hope is that it will become easier over time to travel. Obviously, at the moment, we've got so many restrictions still in place. And I actually think it's really confusing. And I think that until we have a standardized approach coming from all destinations, it will continue to be quite confusing for people. But I think if you want to travel, you can find a way. It might at the, at, Just at the moment, it might not be your first choice and you have to sort of work in the restrictions. And we've got all you know, sorts of things like vaccination passports being spoken about. And within Europe, there's apparently talks of a green digital passport. Other certifications that will allow you, you know, to book your travel. And then countries are kind of laying a stake in the ground. For example, Cyprus is saying that from I think it's May the 1st, they'll reopen to tourists who've been double inoculated, whereas Israel and Greece have decided to apparently create a travel corridor, which is something that we were hearing quite a lot about in sort of the the middle of the pandemic. And now that's coming back in, which is interesting. But other places like the Seychelles, for example, seem to be taking any tourists that would like to visit there. So I guess it just depends on you know, what you'd like to do. I think it's interesting as well in how destinations are really starting to accommodate travelers more when it comes to, you know, future-proofing their trip and making sure that all of their insurance and their healthcare policies and programming is firmly in place. Because what we found is that that is absolutely number one in the mind now of travelers. And if they don't feel safe and secure to travel, they're not even going to consider it. So, you know, you've got places like the Canary Islands who's, who've partnered with the insurance firm AXA to offer all visitors full coverage on COVID-19 related medical and health expenses should they test positive during their stay. And I think something like that would go some way to offer reassurance to hesitant travellers. And Jimmy, from your vantage point, you know, do you see people ready to travel again with all of these precautions in place or is there still some hesitancy there? I think the biggest thing is that the pent-up demand to travel is absolutely there. Uh, and the inquiries that we're receiving have really started to come in thick and fast. It's about when people can pull the trigger to actually make it happen. Last year, when the pandemic struck, we decided to uh, employ a pandemic specialist and uh, nurse and doctor to write our COVID strategy and programme and to work with everyone that we, we work with on the ground as well. I think we're probably one of the first travel companies to do that. And that builds confidence uh, into the system straight away. And I think for clients from different countries, everyone has a different standpoint and viewpoint on, on what it means as well. So we actually have clients away right now traveling. Um, and that's achievable for depending on where you are in the world. Obviously, in the UK, it's completely locked down. You cannot travel. It's now part of law that you can't leave the country without the, the right kind of paperwork. But other parts of the world are more freely available. I think, as, as Manny said, there's lots of initiatives coming in and how we see those acting out. And we need a, a standardised form across, across the global travel industry in order to make it happen. What have you seen, Mandy? I mean, are these restrictions and these programs actually instilling confidence in travelers? Do people feel like they're safer with them? 
I think it's a very it's a very mixed bag. Um, again, just totally validating what Jimmy said. I think the the pent up demand for travel is definitely there, and I think once you know the gates open, we're actually going to see people travel more than they would have done because now they're more aware of what they've been missing out on, and they're craving real world experiences. <laughs> they want to get away from their screens. They want experiences that are actually filled with real people and spontaneity and fun and sensorially immersive rather than everything being so one-dimensional as it has been. So I think that travel really is going to boom again as soon as it can. We've got some interesting stats from reports that we've been doing saying that 65% of US travelers plan to travel more than they did pre-COVID. So I think that's really interesting. And 54% of them say they're more likely to book their bucket list trip when travel returns to normal. So not only are they wanting to travel, they're actually saying, well, let's just do that amazing trip that we've always wanted to do because who knows what's going to happen in the future. When are we going to get this chance again? Let's just dive in and take a chance and, and take a little bit of a risk maybe. And again, risk is different for each person. Risk might be simply turning off your Wi-Fi for a week, and that can feel quite sort of radical for some people. But interestingly as well, we're seeing movement with boomers who've been vaccinated, and a few travel companies have come forward and said that boomers have been the ones who've been snapping up their travel packages really quickly. Maybe not for this year, maybe it's more for 2022, but there's definitely a sentiment that they are particularly keen to travel. And actually, 83% of seniors in the US say they feel more prepared to travel now than they did last year. So the sentiment is definitely growing. But again, this all hinges on vaccinations all being rolled out as they should. And again, all the healthcare policies being in place, because I don't think that was something that we gave that much thought to when we booked travel before. And now you want to know that if something goes radically wrong whilst you're there you're going to be able to access the best health care and you know social and economic care possible i'm super interested to see how the travel insurance category gets a shot in the arm from this and could almost become something quite desirable which will be really interesting to watch and so, Jimmy, I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier about people actually going out and traveling. Have you noticed any shift in demand for tours on part of Polaris or people wanting to go different places or do different activities than they were before the pandemic? I think when we set up Polaris, it was all about being an experiential travel company. And that naturally lent itself to going to more remote locations and you know being away from, from mass areas and also you know delivering delivering projects in a more luxurious but private way. All of that plays completely into the hands, I think, of a of a new traveler that we're seeing coming through at the end of the pandemic. And really people want to spread their wings, as Mandy was saying, travel into more interesting places, their bucket lists, and most likely those are the areas which will be more remote, you know, more purposeful, more meaningful, and you know, for longer as well. And certainly for the American market, we're seeing that. Traditionally, you'll have the seven-day 
become a traveler, but actually people going, if I'm going to go away, I want to make the most of it. I want to spend the most time I can. I'm going to go for two weeks and fly long haul uh, and go and explore and see something very different to what I hadn't seen before. So it doesn't have to be remote deep into the Amazon, but actually the, what we're seeing is more of an uptick in the, the kind of the lodges, more private kind of set up mobile camps people are interested in a lot now as well, where they can bring their family and friends together and really reconnect, especially after a year where they just haven't been able to see a lot of their loved ones and their friends as well. So that's a really interesting interesting side on it. The other side is, you know, I think there's a lot of suppliers who are realising that they need to have more offerings and how can they expand it and you know some amazing brands out there which really do some you know kind of uh secret style lodges uh, and, and camps and they're starting to pop up more and more which is good the the big problem which we're going to see as countries are still locked down the likes of australia new zealand you won't probably won't be able to travel to this year it will mean that there's high demand but supply will be you know, much smaller than normal as well. So we're actually seeing people, as Mandy said, you know, booking for 2022, one, because they know that hopefully the pandemic will be fully over by that, but also they can guarantee that they can hold that, that property, that location, that lodge, that experience now because the demand is starting to rise and rise and rise. Certainly for the back end of this year, Q3, Q4, you know, if you're looking within the UK, most properties are, are booked. You know, there's a there's a real you know, demand for that that kind of booking, and I think that will only push on through as people are you know are limited to where they can go or how far they want to go as well. Right now, for the American market, we're seeing that they want to stay closer to home. There's a lot of travel internally within America, which is great because there's so much they haven't seen. Uh, but also, I don't want to go long haul all the way across to Africa or, or the Far East. Actually, let's stay around Central America and even South America, because if something does happen, it's a short hop back as well. So it's interesting how different geographies break up, break up the categories of where they travel and how they travel. And what are you seeing, Mandy, in terms of you know, how people are going to want to start traveling again? Are they going to be going on these long-term purpose-driven trips, bucket list, or more of the dipping the toe in style trip? I mean, actually, exactly what exactly what Jimmy said. <laughs> it's exactly the same as what we've been seeing in the States. We're, I mean, we're seeing, obviously, a rise in domestic tourism everywhere. And, you know, the resurgence of the staycation in all its many shapes and forms. And also a rise in road trips which is very exciting which we've been looking at a lot on stylus because it impacts so many different industries from automotive design to food and beverage and all the kind of services that wrap themselves around that so we're seeing massive interest in that regard but yeah definitely in the states we're seeing a lot of interest in staying closer to home kind of the motto of close is comfortable you know there's a good stat from booking.com which says actually a nearly half of global consumers will prefer to travel closer to home in the medium term, which is like seven to 12 months. And a 38% of them plan to do so for the foreseeable future. But, and that's great because it opens up so many possibilities for local businesses and who definitely also need a shot in the arm. But I think for all those who are choosing to stay close, there'll definitely be 
as enthusiastic a cohort that wants to go long haul. So I, I think it's just, it's positive news all around in terms of the motivation to travel and to, to see new things. Excellent. And so I want to go back a little bit to what we talked about adventure travel at the beginning. And I'm curious, Jimmy, who do you see as the future adventure traveler? And you know, what kind of trips are they going to want to go on? A great question, Amelia. And it really depends on the different demographics I spoke about right at the beginning. And I think we're we're seeing that from you know the the boomers who also have more time, they want to get out and maybe they haven't spread their wings as far. And they realize that actually there's there's still plenty of life to go and grasp and experience. And you know, how can we do that in a in a luxurious way? So you don't need to rough it and, and camp. We can do it in a brilliant way. You know, I've taken a load of boomers to India the last trip I did just before the pandemic. And we built a Maharaja style mobile camp, four poster beds, ensuite bathrooms in the outback of Rajasthan. You know, but they would never have thought or imagined of doing that before. So, you know, it's about having those comforts and luxuries, which then allow them to go out and do more. So, you know, it, incredible experiences like that mixed with, and I think this is where our speciality is, that you don't have to you know, break up the family party because everyone has different tastes and likes. And we're certainly seeing this trend, and we've had it for a while now, of multi-generational trips that we're creating. And the adventures can be on the whole level of different scales for that. So we can have an elder generation, the grandparents there. Um, We can be taking them on on a yacht. And whilst on the yacht, the grandparents can go down and have a, an experience under the water which they've never had before because they weren't divers, but we're putting them into a submersible. And down in the submarine they go and they live that BBC Blue Planet David Attenborough-style experience. But at the same time, their children and their grandchildren are diving, they're scuba diving, so they're paddy qualified or what have you, and they're swimming in and around the submarine and having what they see as you know, an adventure to their level. At the end of the day, everyone comes back and they sit around the table and they're sharing their experiences. And now they've all had a slightly different experience of the environment they're in, but actually they've all achieved the same experience as well. And that was something under the water for them. So the adventure does it does depend on who you are and what you want. And I think for the for the younger generation now, there's a desire to have experiences over over asset, and that was something that was coming through before the pandemic, and I think it's only going to increase now as they've had their their kind of wings clipped over the last year, not being able to get out. Actually, let's go and see as much as possible, and they are up for quite hard and fast travel. So, Mandy, I'm curious what you're seeing as well with adventure travel, especially I think you know we've been covering it from more of a mass market perspective almost on Stylus. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of tracked it through different guises. Even before the pandemic hit, we saw a lot of sports adventure travel come through. So people who are not necessarily professional athletes, but they have an athlete mentality, which just means you want to be the best that you can possibly be and beat your own goals. And I think over the course of the pandemic, more and more of us have subscribed to that sort of ethos, whether it's, you know, taking up cycling or running or hit classes or skateboarding, whatever it is. And we we're seeing an emergence of that coming through with tourism. It's kind of a more high octane sports tourism where you want to go on holiday, but you might want to do a half marathon while you're there 
and that won't impact your family, as Jimmy says, there's a way to now combine everybody's needs together, which I think is quite exciting. We've even seen uptake of esports enthusiasts, which I know you've been looking at, Amelia, as well. well, you know, which is quite exciting as well, and kind of seeing digital adventure as part of the adventure portfolio, and people really willing to kind of travel all around the world to access that, and hotels and travel brands starting to really take notice of the gaming segment and catering to them. And then again, you know, we've got all the off-roaders and all the camping enthusiasts who it, it might be a slightly more light term, you know, of adventure compared to what Jimmy was describing. Although, you know, maybe there's a place for that in there as well. But we've seen massive uptake as well. And then also, I think those who want spiritual adventures, so those who kind of want to combine, you know, physical adventure with something really meaningful and they're looking to decompress and to find something new in the way that they view the world or, you know, the way they might think about something. And I think post-pandemic, with so many of us having struggled from stress and anxiety and all the other, you know, all the other issues that the pandemic has unleashed onto society, I think that sort of personal, spiritual, emotional, intellectual motivation will come through in adventure travel a lot. And Jimmy, what do you think we can expect from the luxury travel traveler in particular moving forward? Certainly a more purposeful form of travel. And this is really playing into you know, how they approach travel now. We we have a policy in place that all of our trips are carbon neutral and we actually have a essentially a carbon tax which we we pass on to all of our clients and we have not had a client who has pushed back against that at all now which is very pleasing to see and we calculate the, the kind of carbon output for the trip working with the world land trust and then that generates a, a value which is then uh, passed to the client so that that's an interesting thing but certainly we're finding a lot of clients want to have hand-on experiences and leave a positive impact wherever they're going. And if I look at the days of old philanthropists, you know, they write a cheque and then they send it off and, and that's it, it's done. Actually, we're seeing people who want to part with money for charitable reasons into conservation, wildlife and even humanitarian projects. But then they actually want to go and get their hands dirty and take part in the activities. And we're building that into all of our trips, which is really exciting. We actually set up our own charitable foundation uh, last year as to be the driver for this mechanism into different charities. So the Pluris Foundation links in with, with all of our trips. And then we try and weave that into getting people to take part in coral regeneration planting programs when they're diving in the soil. Solomon Islands, for example, or looking at how we can fund and train anti-poaching rangers in, in Africa and for the clients to actually go and meet with them when, when they're on safari and understand and learn more about it. So that that leaving a positive in, positive impact and purposeful travel is really starting to build, which is perfect because ultimately for us, we are only custodians of this world and we need to act now more than ever before in order to facilitate protecting the ecosystem that we live in for future generations. Because if we don't do that, our children and their children will not have the beauties and the delights of the world to travel to that, that we do now. And they're already diminished hugely from, from 100 years ago. So it really needs to be at the core 
of what everyone is doing is certainly within the travel industry. We need to drive that hard. Definitely. And Mandy, what are you seeing in this space here between luxury, purpose, sustainable travel? Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally agree with Jimmy on that as well. And, you know, I think coming from South Africa, I've been on um, countless safaris my whole life. Like that's just that's the best holiday in the world for me. But never once did we actually learn about the, the anti-poaching regimens that have been put in place. You know, maybe there would be slight mention of it when you're driving near the fence, you know, and the border of, of a game reserve. But I think integrating that sort of education, especially to children who are really going to soak it up, it's just amazing to kind of layer that through. And I think that, you know, in terms of luxury and sustainability, that kind of thinking will become inextricably linked. People want to feel good about the decisions they make and the trips that they go on, and they want to genuinely feel like they've made a difference. We've seen a lot of destinations also sort of take the matter into their own hands and ask visitors to sign pledges or certificates upon entering that basically commits them to respecting the land and the people and leaving the place in as good or better condition that they found it in. And we saw that with the Tiaki Promise that was in New Zealand some years ago. And then now Wales has introduced, I think they've called it the Addo Pledge or the Addo Promise. And it's basically saying the same thing, which also comes to my point about, you know, over-tourism and under-tourism. And we obviously had massive over-tourism issues before the pandemic. And we, you know, we were so preoccupied with that and that challenge and how the travel industry is going to deal with it and balance things out. And then things went in, it swiveled completely in a 180 degree direction. And I think we need to be very careful as travel resumes that that over-tourism issue doesn't surface again. We've just seen in Venice, they've installed a control room, a tourism control room. And, you know, the city and the country's poured quite a bit of funding into that so they can actively manage the flow of tourists in a more balanced way and try and make it, you know, a less crowded and more positive experience for everyone. Because even when things sort of go back to normal with travel, I don't think we're going to want to be in very crowded places anymore. I think our mindsets have changed. So, you know, along those lines, I think are all positive measures. But then also picking up your, on your point about the luxury traveler, I think all of our health and wellness concerns that have accelerated during the pandemic are also going to transition across with us to our hospitality and travel experiences. And I think People are looking for very benefit-focused and very specific forms of wellness now. For example, sleep. We know that sleep, achieving good quality sleep is a global problem and it's getting worse all the time. It was a problem before the pandemic and it's more of a problem now. And we've seen a lot of hotels starting to step in and position themselves as sleep experts and promising you that once you come to them for a week, you'll be so much more rested and you'll have all the tools with you when you leave to have better sleep hygiene. You know, that's just one example. I think veganism and, you know, plant curious eating as well will be more on the menus at, you know, most of the, the travel and hospitality establishments that we go to and will be better quality and more exciting offers than it was before. And so Jimmy, we finish every episode with three rapid fire questions for our guest. 
First one is if you had a million pounds, where would you invest it right now? Straight into the Polaris Foundation, um, driving the projects and the initiatives across wildlife conservation and humanitarian areas, which we're taking our clients to and to build that out and leaving a positive impact on where we're going. Absolutely. And what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? I think we got a very apt one right now uh, is uh, how we're going to have the standardized way of uh, travel across the board with travel passports or, or the likes of such. I know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people in both sides of the camp. So we need to get some uniformity there because we need to open up global travel to get people traveling again, but also to inject vast amounts of cash into economies which rely on on tourism and travel. So so importantly, so that that is definitely a challenge. I don't think we've got unity across a, a global scale yet on that at all. And so there's going to be there's going to be some challenges faced there. Definitely. And which individuals or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work? Oh, uh, this is such a tough one because uh, there's so many people out there. You know, as individuals, I think there's one there's one British man who leads right at the top, and that's uh, David Attenborough. You know, in his life of travel and showing us the world and what's there, but the importance of how fragile it is, and his his big push now in his later years to really drive that through. And then brands, I think there's some amazing brands out there from the likes of all of our brand, all of our brand who are the swimwear uh, brand in the UK who just gone to a very sustainable drive to carbon offset all of their production and delivery to. The the likes of Patagonia, who for years have said, you know, a garment is for life, send it back, we'll repair it, we'll actually patch it up. You know, I think we we use so much in a consumerist world now, and actually things should last much longer, and we need to be more sustainable in that approach. So, you know, those are two, but there's plenty more I could choose from. Excellent. Well, on that note, I think we are going to end for today. I would like to thank my guests, Jimmy and Mandy, and I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.